welcome back to part two of the Hennessy Falls podcast, proudly presented by Aloha Surf Manly. Okay, there was one heat in your career that I was at, and um, I've never seen you more pissed off. And it was Margie's against TB. Oh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll give everyone a rundown of that story. Basically, what happened was uh, TB sort of got caught in your leash, and you, I'm pretty sure you'd already left and gone home. And uh, it was a KP you had to ring and go, mate, you're coming back for, a, you're coming back for a resurf. And, yeah. And I, I could nearly hear the. F- <laughs> Talk us through what happened. Oh yes, yeah. like I was sort of going through a bad. Or the year before, I didn't have the best year on tour, and um, and I just started terrible at snapper, and I was super fired up at to do well at Margie's, and and uh, had TB. I knew it was a tough draw, and I ended up um, having a really good heat against Taj in round three, and and it was kind of right near the end, and I, I was kind of like pushing the limit i guess um just in the takeoff zone of just like staying near him and just wanted to keep that pressure and presence of like yeah i'm here when you take off um if he needed a pretty decent score and and when he paddled into the wave um he kind of yeah shifted over to where i was paddling and then yeah his his hand got caught in my leggy as i was um paddling over the wave and he went over the falls and and I didn't think too much of it because he didn't really say much. Um, and I was like, oh, like, yeah, just like that was just unlucky. And I was just stoked, did my interview, super happy, like, yeah, through to the next round, um, go home and then get a phone call. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, no, I'm not surfing. Like, no, I won the heat fair and square. It's not, I'm not going, don't, I'm, you're, you're tripping. And then um, they're like, oh, well, Taj is getting a walkthrough if you don't rock up. And I was standing there just like, <laughs> I was just like, no, nah, I'm not surfing, no. Nah. And then, and then, yeah, came up with the plan of like, pretended I wasn't surfing and <laughs> got my, um, got Andy King, um, Kingy brought my rash. He was coaching me at the time and brought the rashy home and um, got ready at home, raced, like got to Margie's like five minutes before, sprinted down like, paddled into the lineup like with as the hooter sounded and and then yeah we had another heat with Taj and he actually had a good start I was too fired up at the start I was so angry still and then I let it let go and just went into um channeled into my surfing and then end up beating him and uh yeah it was a pretty sweet but I was kind of I don't know it was sweet but bit of victory because I just it was so draining for me I was I was exhausted after just mentally from the whole way it played out but yeah i don't know it's just one of those things in surfing that yeah sometimes um yeah changes at the last minute funniest thing is when you rocked up like we were all hiding going oh he's so <laughs> pissed off and when i looked at i looked around i thought to myself i reckon he's gonna he'll get him again here he's not gonna lose his seat and you, i remember you walked up and you sort of still had that look of really anger about you when you walked up and you sort of went like half smiled because yeah. I was staying at Taj's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it all went down, we were sitting in the car like talking about going, are you going to protest that? And I don't really think TB, like you said, I don't yeah. think he really thought about it. Yeah, yeah. When it happened, like, I remember that night we were all having beers and that and he just went, oh, <laughs> he was <laughs> so angry. I was so angry. I was... Yeah, I don't, if I, I don't know what I would have done if I lost, I probably would have just 
paddle to Antarctica and not come back. <laughs> oh, that is so the great thing about being a, a professional surfer, you get to travel the world and a lot of the times you travel with mates and um, always some funny stories that come out of the tour, things that the public wouldn't really see. So Kai Otten asked me to ask you to tell the Diane Neve car story because um, it's pretty funny, that one. So let's hear it. Yeah, Diane and I were staying together in Europe that year and uh, we'd just finished Mandaka comp and we're staying at Bacchio where we always stay, a bunch of us Aussies, and uh, we had to drive down to Portugal, but um, I don't know, I wanted to let <laughs> let loose a little bit with the other boys and just have a few drinks and a bit of fun and just, yeah, I don't know, decompress, I guess, from that event before we started the next one and Dayan wasn't drinking at the time and he's like we're getting up at four in the morning we're gonna punch it down and there's gonna be fun waves and I'm like yeah yeah all right sweet as like yeah I'll, I'll I'll just go to bed early then I guess and everyone's having a bit of fun in the bar and I was like oh stuff this I don't want to go at four in the morning let's let's like let's do something to the car and so we went out my own car <laughs> we jacked it up took the wheels off shoved the wheels under the car (laughs) it was on its guts with the wheels (laughs) put the jack back in the car went to bed knowing that um yeah i'd have a few more hours sleep because day i wouldn't be able to drive the the car out of the car park by four o'clock and um just hear all all this commotion at like four in the morning doors smashing and swearing blowing who wrecked my car like just going nuts um so then dayan was that furious he let down all the other boys cars tires to the rim all like every single one in there like people that didn't even have anything to do (laughs) and then it's he spent another two hours or whatever jacking our car back up putting all the wheels back on and then he knocks on my door at about eight in the morning and I'm like, oh, you're ready to go. He's like, oh, yeah, let's get out of here. These, these idiots took my tires off. I'm like, no way. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> when did you tell him? And then I didn't even tell him. Drove all the way down to Portugal. Didn't say a thing. <laughs> Do you know the funniest thing about that? He, he goes, yeah. He gets in the car and just sleeps the whole way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I just fell asleep and Diane drove all the way and um, I didn't even mention it to him until the boys told him and, yeah, we got down there early. Luckily, the waves were pumping for him and it was worth the trip, but, oh, that was a funny, funny night. Um, yeah, and, God, we had some good times over the years with those boys. Is that what you miss most about the tour is that, the, you know, the relationships you build with guys who you compete against and, and the times you had travelling the world. It's pretty... It's a pretty great place to be as an individual, isn't it? Oh, totally. And it's, um, yeah, the mateship you, you, you get from it and um, the friends, yeah, and then like seeing them at families and stuff now. And yeah, just some of the stuff we used to get up to and, and then, but then also be there for each other when you're competing and, um, and they riding the highs and lows. And yeah, was, I don't know, it's just a, such an amazing experience amazing experience that um we all got to share did it go quick well you spoke about 13 years on tour did it feel like it flew by it's crazy (laughs) it definitely flew by um super fast and 
Yeah, I wish. Yeah, I wish we were going back to the start. Sometimes it was it was um, it was super cool experience, and yeah, some of the just some of the surfs you get too, like just pulling up at uh, an empty beachy in Europe, and yeah, you just can't get out there quick enough, and oh, I don't know. Yeah, just so many good memories. A couple of things that happen on tour, which you know will you know go down in history is as incredible situations mix shark attack at j bay where were you when that happened yeah that was crazy i actually i got knocked out early in the comp and i'd just gotten home that day so i was at home uh and yeah I, i'd super jet lagged and was um watching the event and fell sl- fell asleep and then and then remember just the um tara my wife waking me up just like going what the what's happened what's happened like because our phones were just going nuts and and then yeah jump back online and um just saw like what was happening afterwards and yeah that was just absolutely terrifying like for that to happen in the final like on a nice sunny arvo it's yeah so freakish but so so glad we didn't yeah lose our friend and and yeah it's a miracle that yeah to escape it unscathed really hats off to Jules too what a hero like oh. being in the lineup and so much respect for Jules because the fact that he was not going to let Mick you know take that alone you know yeah that was a uh, true test of um, testament of Jules's um, character he's he's such a genuine good honest loyal person like that and yeah he was paddled over his mate straight away um, yeah ready to yeah do whatever it took to get mick out of um harm's way and yeah it would have taken some serious balls to do that and not freak out and paddle in himself going back there right uh, there was a medium wasn't there regarding jay bay and whether everyone wanted to go back was and yeah. and mick wanted to go back yeah Ex- yeah mick's um yeah talk about courage that's pretty crazy he wanted to go back and yeah confront that and surf it and but yeah, I remember the meeting. Um, well, yeah, when it took place later that year, in I think it was France when we had our surfers meeting, and yeah, and NWA was another one too. Obviously, everyone's um, quite freaked out with sharks there at um, Margie's in the box. So yeah, there was a lot of talk about what should happen, and yeah, Mick was very vocal of no, it's their their um, space, and we're in their. Um, in their environment and we just have to have the right safety um for everyone the best we can and and let's let's go back and so if mick's saying that you can't you can't really go against him if he's the one that's been that's exactly got attacked by a shark and he wants to go back so um yeah everyone went back and and yeah now they have the drones and the boats and jet skis and yeah it's really good safety equipment it goes to show just how mentally strong Mick Fanning is. You know, you can see exactly why he got to where he was in our sport. 100%. You don't, you're not going to find anyone tougher, to be honest, really. Like, what I like about it too, he doesn't white-knuckle it either. He feels emotion and he works through it, and but he'll still lean into it and, and he's just so courageous, you know. It's, um, yeah, so inspirational to so many people because all the adversity he's been through and what he's achieved and but then also who he is as a person i think it's uh it's pretty incredible to to have someone like that in our sport i think it's we're very lucky 
Having a long and successful career, you've had a really solid relationship with Mount Woodgy Surfboards. I want to talk through how important that was for your career. It's, yeah, it's building those relationships with your shaper, with your, the people you trust in your bubble, um, in your network, and yeah, and spending the time with them. Like, yeah, I started riding Mount Woodgy's when I was 12 and working with Wayne McEwen, who shaped my boards my whole career. And yeah, it's just such a great group of um, people that all, like for, even from the sanders and the glasses to um, like Willie that puts the sprays on the boards, it's so important to have that good relationship to um, give feedback and just keep working on things and just get better and better. And another example of that is um, like John John with Pizel. Like, yeah, John worked so hard with Pizel to perfect his boards over the years that yeah he grew they grew together you know and like went all the way to the top and the same like you see mick with with darren and like joel with js and kelly with al merrick and it's just yeah you put in the time you'll get rewarded with your shaper so your last year on tour what was the catalyst for you retiring were you already because you made the decision did you make it early or late uh i made it uh, mid-year um, when this role came up but if we got rewinded a little bit it was yeah sort of when I had my year off of recovery and I worked when I worked with uh, John that year and got my first taste of coaching I really enjoyed the coaching but also really enjoyed time at home with the family and realized yeah what I was missing out in input into the kids lives and and my wife's um, life as well like it's kind of just away a lot and come 2018 when I got back on tour I was all pumped up to go on tour but I knew that if if something came up to finish up my career I I would have a good look at it and and then uh, this this role that I'm in now came up Starkey approached me and said yeah there's you should apply for this job and and yeah I really um, thought long and hard about it and applied for it and went through the whole process of job interview and whatnot and I thought yeah this will decide how much I want to stay on tour and we'll see how it works out and yeah end up getting the job and then yeah that just really made my mind up of like I was probably only going to do another year on tour anyway I felt like the judging was changing and my style of surfing was kind of fading out and I still knew I could get results and probably stay on tour but I knew it would be really hard work and uh, a lot of dedication and I don't know, I was sort of already shifting towards um, winding down. So I really, um, yeah, just wanted to yeah, not miss out on this opportunity that I, I had as well. So end up, yeah, making the call. I think it was just before J-Bay maybe that year. And and then, um, yeah, really just enjoyed the last back end of the, my career and of, um, yeah, competing and having fun with everyone that, yeah, I've been going around the world with for, those 13 years tell us about your relationship with john john florence what about that scoring your first ever coaching gig with the world champ yeah that was super <laughs> wild like really left field how it happened and um yeah coming into well the season was starting in snapper but all, all my goal was i just got out of a wheelchair and was um at the going to the pool every day to try and learn how to walk again and yeah got a call from john's manager to see if i wanted to be in john's corner and help him out with the competitive side of things and just give him my ip of how i compete and and see what i saw of the way he was 
competing and just offer up knowledge of um yeah just the real strategic side of surfing because everyone knows john had the talent he was kind of losing heats quite easily like um and i remember like one of the first things i looked at was because it's always easy to talk off data and he was his heat total was so high it was like in the 14s and when you're in 14s you should be like going for the title or winning a title and he was i think that year he he was way back i think i might have even beaten him that year that i got injured and he was further down the um, rankings and yeah it was just like you're just losing heats so easily at the end or you're just giving people opportunities so it's like all right let's let's start seeing where we can get easy wins and and just started breaking down all the competitive side of things and he was like such an amazing person to work with he's super intelligent like the way um he constructs himself and yeah goes into a project to uh to try and get an outcome his personality is so casual uh, give us an insight into him as a just as a person overall is he is he as cool and calm as he looks yes definitely he's very compa- people actually say sometimes that could be an issue with johnny that he could be you yeah. know that john john might be just needs to switch on those juices yeah and that's what i thought as well i'm like wow he's so like composed and so calm but he's and i'm like oh he doesn't have that mongrel or that you know drive and but he does in a different way and and that's um that's the special thing about him is like he channels it more on performance and through doing things precisely and calculated but still like wanting to win but in a different way of wanting instead of like wanting to murder like just smash people and whatever he does like gabby yeah (laughs) the complete opposite yeah exactly yeah so they're complete opposite but um but yeah when it when it gets in the heat of the battle he can still hold his own through his will to want to win through performance and stay in it and just be smart so yeah it doesn't get hot-headed um, which is a great thing as well so and then yeah obviously he's working with ross with his performance side of things to push his keep pushing the innovation so interesting when he comes back to see yeah where he's at with everything obviously he had that when he won his second title it was pretty pretty cruisy for him he's he was definitely on a roll as a competitor what did you think that stood you out yeah, I was thinking about that just on the way down here today. Actually, when I knew we were going to be having a chat, I'd say definitely tactically. Yeah, I didn't have as much talent as a lot of the other guys on tour, but I knew even played like made decisions in the heat at the right time. It would it could change the outcome with cert, like you obviously had still had to perform, but it was really crucial like making right decisions and and just tactically controlling the heat. It was certainly harder against some people that are were really tactically smart as well, but then other people that lacked in that, I really felt like that was my biggest strength for sure was um, the way I tactically surfed heats. Moving forward out of your career into your business side of your life, Bolter, how did you get involved in Bolter and how did that come about with all you guys? Because yeah. it was basically you, Mick, Kersey. Yeah, and Joel. Uh, and Joel. yeah. That was uh, such a fun adventure and still going now. And back in 2000, uh, end of 14, I think. Yeah, end of 14, we started it. Yeah, or end of 15, I can't remember, one or the other. Yeah, I remember just always loved beer. 
<laughs> and, it's the Aussie way. Yeah. Just, yeah, just traveling around the world and just going to like a place like Margaret River and you go to wineries and then like you go to breweries and in California and whatnot and just, yeah, just started to find a love for going and learning about like different beer companies around the world and Josh Kersey was involved with one in in the States and wanted to, um, yeah, just pick his brain on it because I was like, I, I was really keen on wanting to start one at North Strati. Started talking to him about it and and then he's like, oh, yeah, you probably need this and that. And I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. Like, I reckon I could pull that off at Strati and then started thinking about the logistics a bit more. I was like, that's probably not going to happen at Strati and, and the beer will probably never get off Strati. <laughs> if we make it there so then yeah thought oh no let's maybe on the goldie might be better so spoke to josh about it and then spoke to mick like oh maybe we could all do one together and joel and then kind of just we all started asking each other and then started caught up for a meeting at pipe of yeah let's do this and then started building a team from there and got like a um, really cool group of seven of us that kind of kicked it off and seven of us founders and just far out now it's like over 50 um people in in bolter now and staff and it's been perceived really well like obviously scotty the brewer he's probably like the mick fanning of in the beer world and yeah he's just the guru of making um really amazing beer and and then sterling who does the marketing he's just the guru as well and then ant mac is the ceo and so just got like a really good group of people that a part of the dna of it these days you're not competing professionally but you're a big part of point lookout tell us about because as you know i'm involved at a club level and i i think it is one of the the key points that we've been so successful over a long period of time within australian surfing ranks so point lookout tell us about your club yeah love point lookout i actually uh just become vice president at the end of last year when sucked in <laughs> yeah and i was like um yeah i'll do it they don't have to do that much do they <laughs> but no i've always um yeah heavily believed in the board riders as a stepping stone to yeah a career in surfing if that's what you want to do or just be a part of the community i think it really gels everyone and i don't know it's the backbone of surfing for sure and like our club's only tiny but like it's i just love going up there and being a part of it judging heat seeing other juniors are going and giving encouragement um yeah cooking the barbie or whatever it's just it's the best day and it's a family isn't it it's such a family and and everyone just feels that love and yeah it's just i don't know it's just really we're really lucky to have that in australia and that's where i fell in love with competing I think I was five just going in the Grommy pushing one and then like yeah just went through the the um the different uh unders all the way up to opens and yeah like when you win your first open championship I think that's it's a pretty proud moment it like yeah it's like winning a a major comp I feel like it's um you hold it pretty highly isn't that strange because I was when you said that then I was thinking the same thing about our club right both Richie and Diane have won titles at our club. And, you know, when you look at it, you think, oh, these guys are pro servers, but it means so much to them. <laughs> Honestly, they're like, they really love the fact that they've won a club title. Oh, exactly. It's it's huge. It's, um, 
I guess you almost feel more pressure than on the world oh. stage because it's like... How heavy is that pressure at the ABB? Oh, it's gnarly. When we go to that ABB level, it's like you come out of that individual, you know, setting into a team format and you're expected to perform. Is that tough? It's really tough. You want it to not be all on your shoulders, but you kind of got that in the back of your mind. Like, if I don't perform, like, I'm letting my town down, my club down, the community down. And so, yeah, you... You, you want to give it your all and um, the nerves are definitely there. Best piece of advice you could give to a young person trying to make their way in a career path in professional surfing, what's your best advice? I would just say probably just be true to yourself, do it your way, but also be accountable to yeah, your actions. They've got to do the work too, don't they? It's, it's like I don't think grommets get it, but the more work you put in, the more you'll get out of it and if you can only give 100 percent as an athlete that's all you can do yeah exactly yeah that's that's why like you got to be accountable to what you put in there because especially now like there's 10 spots on the qs there's so many tens of thousands of surfers it's a tough task like it's, you're gonna have to work a lot harder than everyone you have to be better than everyone and yeah you gotta want it so bad well, it's been a pleasure having you on today. 13 years on the World Tour. You're a great, you're a great guy and a great Aussie, so thanks a lot for coming on, champion. Cheers, Timmy. Thanks for having us. Thanks, mate. The Hennessy Files podcast series, proudly presented by Aloha Surfman. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to check out next week's episode.